Welcome back, everybody. This is Scott. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Film Cafeteria. And today we are saying happy birthday to the great Martin Scorsese. happy birthday. (laughs) And uh, we're going to be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, but also about a couple of other kind of uh, oddities Mm -hmm. in his career. Yeah. And, um, yeah. This is kind of a little off the beating path, right? Because... It's it's something that you wouldn't think or recognize as his work, but it is. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. So we decided to do something off the beaten path today because we also want to talk about his upcoming, like his film that we saw recently, his newer film from this year, which is Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, Killers of the Flower Moon being um, one of the 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 most different films that he's made. Yeah. It's also like this kind of crazy masterpiece. Yeah. Like it's it's sort of insane to see that movie and to think about it in the context of both the filmmaker and also kind of the way that we're seeing movies in general yeah. these days. That like it's so rare that mm-hmm. you actually are getting anything remotely close to that right now. Mm-hmm. So to actually have been able to see that on the big screen was yes, it's really nice. It was exceptional. Yeah, it's an exceptional experience. Yeah, I guess. Um, to start and get into it, like when did you first kind of become aware of Scorsese as a filmmaker? Ooh, that wasn't until later. I probably was in my like early twenty. Well, maybe even in a teenager. Yeah. Because I think I the first thing I ever saw was like Casino, Casino, and Goodfellas. Yeah. And I think that was the very first time that I knew Martin Scorsese, and his name was just so like different and distinguished that right. I even knew him as Martin Scorsese. When he was doing, when I saw Casino and um, and Goodfellas, yeah, and Goodfellas, yeah. so I thought that was really amazing. I think I was a teenager. Yeah, I think I was a teenager when I saw that. So I was probably like fifteen or something, okay. sixteen when I first saw that. So yeah. And then, like after that, did you kind of have an awareness of like him, like as a filmmaker, in terms of like, was there like an awareness of kind of the the idea of him as a director that like you know it's like oh he's a super important iconic. American director not so much with that but from my own view in a way yes just saying, because I I realized I loved his films yeah so when I started so every time I saw one and he said Martin Scorsese I was like oh that's Martin Scorsese he was the one who did Casino yeah. and in Goodfellas so I think because of that in my own eyes <laughs> I had already saw him as somebody great but did I know him in like the world of like film during that time like that no I did yeah. not yeah but I thought his films was exceptional myself. We like grew up on like me and my brothers love Casino and Goodfellas. We grew up on his little mob movie. So I think that's one of the funny things is that like, especially as an American, is that like his movies are so kind of 
just kind of implanted in the consciousness. Yeah. You know, it's like, I, I just, I like, you know, discovered an air quote Scorsese for the first time when I was in like the fourth grade. Yeah. Because my brother is nine years older. He had copies of Taxi Driver oh, and Raging Bull. Yeah. And so I watched both of those when I was in like the fourth grade. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and was just kind of like mesmerized. But how did you even... So what was your take on everything? Because I, how I would you even understand stuff like that? Taxi Driver and Raging Bull yeah. is like some of the more like very, very... Visceral. Yeah, yeah and it's films. like how do you understand I, that as a fourth grader? I didn't really get it. Like the thing that I got was... It's actually interesting because I I know in retrospect the exact reason why you don't show something to a kid <laughs> from personal experience. Yes. And it's not because of anything bad. Like, I didn't, you know, go and do anything crazy or anything yeah. like that seeing those movies. I understood that Jake LaMotta was yeah. not a good guy. Yeah. I didn't really... The one that really kind of threw me off was Taxi Driver because... I didn't realize until I was a teenager what an awful person oh, Travis Bickle is. Okay. As a kid, I'm watching it and I see an actor that kind of looks like me. Yeah. <laughs> which was pretty rare because outside of seeing Sabu in the original version of The Jungle Book. Oh, no. I didn't really see a whole no, lot I of people on other screen. things outside of that. Those were kind of like the two. I mean, it was like just this scrawny oh. dude. Who was like olive complexioned mm -hmm. and just had a big nose, just yeah. looked odd. And it was like, <laughs> you look at De Niro without any, as a child, without any consciousness of, you know, Italian Americans or, you know, anything like that, and kind of confused why everybody wants to come up to you and say, Where are you from? Yeah. Then all of a sudden you see this guy on screen and he yeah. looks kind of similar to you. You're just yeah. kind of like, oh, okay. nobody asked him that question. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I guess when you're an adult, that goes away. Like that's yeah. like the kind of mental thing that you okay. get. But like I as a kid, like understood that he was lonely. Mm -hmm. And I understood myself that I had a hard time with friends because I was like just had like a lot of health stuff. Okay. And so like. I didn't have, I wasn't like a popular kid as like at fourth grade, you know, yeah. but like I wasn't like unpopular. I was just, yeah. I understood him being lonely because I was sitting there watching the movie in the middle of the summer by myself. Yeah. While kind of everybody else was hanging out and playing. Yeah. And so I understood that and I understood that like Shodi Foster was this girl who kind of looked like she could have been my age. Mm -hmm. And was in trouble, mm -hmm. and this guy saved her. That was how it all came together God, in my head. Yeah, okay. Now, in retrospect, looking back at that movie, I was like, this movie is extremely disturbing. <laughs> this guy is out of his mind. He's a racist. He's a horrible individual. And I'm just like, oh, this is why you don't show something to a kid. It's not because it like messed me up in any way. Yeah. It's because I really did not understand the themes. Yeah, and sometimes the you can you can actually end up acting out and having an influence yeah. you in a way that you don't understand and then later you've picked up preconceived yeah. things yeah. without understanding what was the yeah. point behind the film so yeah. I and that's why I would not show that to kids yeah and it was <laughs> it was one of those things that made you realize it was like it's not that like it it messed me up in any kind of way which of course that can happen but mm -hmm. like it's not like it did that in any kind of way I did not become Travis Bickle and yeah, like end up like yeah. having like the weird phone call with Betsy that you have to track away from. Yeah. But like at the same time, as a child, I, I thought that he was like a heroic character. Yeah, I thought it was like a revenge. See, movie. that's what I mean. And you not know? everyone 
can pick up on those things like you because you know some yeah. things that influence people and i'm like you wouldn't yeah. want that to influence no, you in the negative way yeah no not at all so definitely because that's that's just too adult for kids for yeah. me it's too mature for them to understand which i mean then when you look at a historical context I me mean, it did influence an adult with um uh what's his name who who uh uh was obsessed with jody foster and tried to kill i think it was reagan like that that yeah. whole entire thing that kind of came up that's kind of crazy john hinckley jr i yeah. believe was his name but like um yeah it's like that whole entire thing mm-hmm. came up see that's and what i'm saying like, so yeah. if it can influence an adult imagine a kid's mind that's why i was yeah. just like oh no i wouldn't show this kid they don't understand yeah. enough for me to want to show it to yeah. them yeah and so like for me as a kid like i didn't really get what was wrong with watching it. got it. but it did like and, you know, it's not like anybody said anything was wrong with watching. But, you know, it's like as a kid, yeah. I didn't really get that it wasn't really something I wasn't supposed to be watching. Yeah. It was just kind of a crazy movie. And so yeah. it was the same thing with uh, Raging Bull. By the time I was like... It, and then after that, like, it was one of those things where I would be flipping through TV and I would see Scorsese's name. Mm-hmm. And I would stay on the movie. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there and watch it. Mm-hmm. So I think inadvertently I saw a lot of Goodfellas. I remember when Gangs of New York came out that being enormous because his name was in gigantic letters. Yeah. Now the weird thing is, is as a kid, I thought that Martin Scorsese was the guy who I thought that he was essentially the studio. Oh, I didn't did really you? understand uh-huh. that he was like the director, like that uh-huh. he had this specific job. Yeah. I just thought that like, he like just made the movie. <laughs> like, you know, like it was like a diorama, like you make your project. I <laughs> know. You know, and then you really? show it to somebody like I. That's so I just thought like, oh, Martin Scorsese, like he makes the movie. Yeah. Like it didn't really compute to me that, that these like, are separate entities. Yeah, yeah, that like no, it was like Gangs of New York is kind of a big deal because it's a Miramax movie mm-hmm. that Scorsese directed, and now mm-hmm. there's this controversy behind it. And yeah, DiCaprio was big. Daniel, like none of that stuff really computed. I was just like, it's a, the Martin Scorsese's <laughs> did it, like it almost kind of thing. You know. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So like, yeah, it was just kind of like that, that weird thing. But then by the time I was like in like eighth grade going into high school, then I was like really, really cognizant of him and his influence and also the things that influenced him, which are, which became some of my favorite things started being things I was watching. Got you. And then it's kind of funny because before Killers of the Flower Moon... I guess we can talk about this like for like a second. I actually went back and rewatched some of the movies. No. There were big influences on him. Some of like the French New Wave movies and the Pasolini movies and, and I realized I don't really like them as much now really? as I did as a kid. <laughs> no, wow. I, I That's kinda like like interesting to hear you say because I, I, I you usually found, love things like that. I so. actually found some of them kind of insufferable a little oh, bit. Oh really? <laughs> oh no. Okay. Okay. Just a little bit. I was like, I don't know, I was watching um I like Godard a lot. Yeah. But I, I was rewatching Band of Outsiders and I was like, I can't, I, it's a good movie, but it's just like, I don't know, man. Yeah. And then, like, I had actually rewatched about like a year ago the vast majority of Pasolini's films. And the, so in Killers of the Flower Moon, there's a part where they use a, a Blind Willie Johnson song when they're burning down the field. Yeah. Do you remember that part where that like blues song kind of starts yeah. going? Yeah. Uh, that was actually um, used in Gospel According to St. Matthew. Yes. Uh, oh, you told me that film. before. Yeah. yeah. And so I had actually rewatched 
the vast majority of Pasolini's work like about a year ago. Yeah. I used to adore him <laughs> and talk about how brilliant he was. I now like him more in idea than in oh. execution. Okay. Like I, I was just kind of like outside of gospel according to St. Matthew, I, I did not rewatch solo outside of gospel according to St. Matthew, all the rest of them. I was just like, I like, Oh, Oh no! Ugh, I've seen this and I know it, and like, okay, great. I don't know. So I just it's want, just not the same anymore. Just not. No, I've kind of like just kind of moved into something else, yeah. I guess. <laughs> 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 but it is kind of funny to to see like some of that stuff. Some of the stuff that he really liked. There's one movie in particular that I think you would really enjoy called Battle of Algier. Okay, and have you seen? Like, can you name some of like? the different scenes or moments in Martin Scorsese films that represent some of the things that he really, well, that so inspires him. I think like the, the really, really big one that you can point to in Taxi Driver the, is specifically, there is a shot where Travis drops um, some Alka-Seltzer oh, into a cup and okay. then the camera starts zooming in mm-hmm. on the cup. And that was taken out of, it was either Band of Outsiders or... It might have been masculine and feminine. But there is a shot in a Godard movie mm-hmm. where they're pushing in on cream going into oh. coffee. And it's literally the exact same shot. Oh, really? In Gangs of New York, there's a part where the church goes up and the cross falls. Mm-hmm. That's taken from a Polish film called Ashes and Diamonds. It's okay. actually sitting on the shelf over there. Okay. Like, that's actually taken from that. A lot of the camera moves in Taxi Driver are stolen directly from Fassbender's work. Oh, in particular, I I get the feeling like he really, really liked Fox and his friends. Because if you watch Fox and his friends, which is kind of like one of the best pieces of like early queer cinema that's ever been made. And if you watch Fox and his friends and then you watch um, maybe even a little bit Merchant of Four Seasons because of the color palette. But if you watch some of those early Fassbender movies and you watch Taxi Driver, those camera moves are stolen. Oh, like verbatim yeah. almost. Okay. Um the opening of uh uh Killers of the Flower Moon, mm-hmm. the kids looking through the the slats yeah. in the tent. Yeah. Is if I'm not mistaken, taken from stagecoach. Okay. Kids looking in at one point, the way John Ford framed yeah. the kids like eyes looking okay. through like little holes. Like yeah, like a lot of his stuff is just That's like awesome, verbatim. Man. Yeah. Verbatim steals. So they're like O's too, you know? Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he is like definitely the purveyor of, you know, you don't, you don't borrow, you steal. Yeah, you just can. blatantly <laughs> steal. Yeah. <laughs> when they said that imitation is the highest the form, form of flattery. flattery. <laughs> <laughs> and then one of the movies, one of the two movies we're going to talk about, Hugo. Mm-hmm. That movie is through and through indebted to, I mean, it, of course, you know, George Milieu is part of the story. So yes. there's a lot of influence there, but beyond that, there's a lot of what you can see throughout his films is a tremendous amount of influence from the directors, Powell and Pressburger, okay. who did the red shoes. Mm-hmm. They did a movie that I absolutely adore called uh, black narcissus. Um, mm. It did Tales of Hoffman, a movie that he loved. Actually, there's a funny story about him and George mm-hmm. Romero. Okay. George Romero's favorite movie of all time was The Tales of Hoffman. Okay. If you ever watched this movie, you would be like, how did the guy who made all these <laughs> zombie movies love 
this movie. Yeah, because they're it's, so far in between. They're like so far apart. Tales of Hoffman is a ballet film with oh. barely any dialogue. Oh. I mean, you can get it's, inspired by a lot of things. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it's like you watch it. It's this Technicolor. Mm-hmm. It's this majestic Technicolor ballet movie that, mm-hmm. in my opinion, is actually like... This might be heresy for Scorsese to hear. It's just my opinion. I actually don't think it's that good of a movie. Okay. But, but like, <laughs> these guys really obsessed over it. Uh, uh, George Romero was constantly checking it out of the library. Got and it. at one point, he went to the library, and they said it wasn't there. Because this was back in the day. You had to rent the print. Oh, so okay. you didn't just go and check out like a video. Yeah. You had to go rent the 16 millimeter print yeah. and take it home and thread it up yeah. and watch it. He goes back and they were like, the the print's not here. Mm-hmm. And he was like, who has it? And he looks in the book and they said, some kid named Scorsese. Uh, it was Martin Scorsese. <laughs> it was Martin Scorsese. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and years later, they would meet and find out that they both really adored yeah. Powell and Pressburger oh, and Tales of Hoffman. That was interesting. But uh, Hugo in particular is really indebted to their films and it's also interesting too that he has kind of a deeper relationship there mm-hmm. that this kind of went throughout his career because you know even down to like new york new york which we've covered on the show oh, before yes. you know stars it's Lines, one of my favorite like musicals me too it's one of my favorite musicals i i i mean we talked about it on yeah. here before and like i i just still absolutely yeah. adore it. i can't like that's one of my christmas watches every yes, year it is. i'm excited with christmas coming up to yeah. finally get to do that rewatch yeah. again I just that's one of my favorites of his and one that I was like because I wanted to choose it for here and of course like for this episode of course we can't do that yeah but um yeah it's like that was that was just uh I mean even when you look at that movie and kind of like the way that he plays with references there and it going beyond references into just like this living thing for him Mm -hmm. that movie is extremely indebted to the films of vincent minnelli it even steals entire setups of vincent minnelli's and then of course he's the star of the movie but his daughter yeah his daughter and wasn't there a fun fact that they also used today they were uh yeah they were in a very torrid romantic relationship (laughs) on the set of the movie (laughs) and then a little bit beyond okay and then uh, his longtime editor, Scorsese's longtime editor, Thelma Schumacher, who is, for all intents and purposes, kind of part of the trifecta of Scorsese's collaborators, because it's her, and then it's also Robbie Robertson. Donnie. Okay. Who, of course, passed away this year. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. may he rest in peace. And, yes. Uh, also did the soundtrack for Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful piece written about the Scorsese wrote as an obituary for Robbie Robertson that's currently in uh, Rolling Stone, if anybody wants to check that out. Yeah. It's absolutely gorgeous, but yeah. also so heartbreaking to yeah. read. And, um, the, like, uh, Thelma Schumacher is his editor. She was actually married to Michael Powell. Okay. So, like, there's this whole entire kind of layered thing with him that's very weird yeah. when it comes to the history <laughs> of movies. It, it is, it is that it lives inside of him, but then you also see a man who's made a, a very conscious effort to also make it a part of his life through yeah. and through. Okay. Where it's like, you know, he's his best friend and his editor was also married to his hero mm-hmm. who he introduced the two of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he was with the daughter of Vincent Minnelli for a while while he was making a movie indebted to her father. Like yeah. this is a guy who has truly just been consumed yeah. in this world. And 
you can tell, like, one of the most, I mean, I guess we can start by talking about that one if you want to, Hugo. Yeah, we can start by talking about Hugo. That is probably one of the most personal movies that he ever made outside of making literal biographies. Yeah. You know, like, uh, we watched the documentary together, Italian American. Mm-hmm. We did. You watch that movie, and it's like, that to me is probably his best film. Yeah. Like, of all the movies that he made, yeah. I think Italian American was, was his good. best. It was really good. It was interesting. I think there's something about, like, I mean, we were talking about Goodfellas. Mm -hmm. His mom is in that movie. Yes. Yes, she is. <laughs> you know, I remember, she, yes. She shows up in the movie. His dad mm -hmm. was always a background player. And, like, you look at his mom in Goodfellas, and that is just him showing up and trying to recreate the actual just documentary yeah. of Italian-American. But now he's got Joe Pesci and yeah. Robert De Niro. <laughs> De Niro <yeah. laughs> what do you call it? We had the, the hoof. The hoof. We gotta cut off the hoof. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but like, you know, the, the you look at Hugo, and that's like probably his most yes personal film outside of, you know, like just doing documentaries. Yeah. Had you seen? So I guess uh, we can talk about like Hugo is a, a film that he did with. Um, it was based on a novel by Brian Selznick, who also wrote the script, uh, mm -hmm. or who. Uh, uh, actually, he wrote the script for uh, Wonderluck, I think. Okay. Uh, John Logan wrote the script for that one, uh, who's collaborated with Scorsese a few times. Stars Asa Butterfield, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, Ben Kingsley, the great Helen McRory, mm -hmm. um, Sasha Baron Cohen, and of course, our our good friend of movies uh, and TV, uh, Emily, Emily Mortimer. Mortimer. <laughs> also Jude Law. And, and Jude Law Yeah, which well. he was yeah. just in the, like, the beginning. In the beginning, course. yeah, yeah. But I, I can't believe I forgot him. <laughs> and then there's also a whole host of people that are kind of in tiny little parts. If yeah. you've watched Harry Potter, yes, you, see those you just see like around. little Harry Potter sprinklings all over the <laughs> yes, movie. <it> <laughs> <laughs> but this is also kind of like a wonderful, like kind of warm inside, almost holiday type film in some ways yes it is did you see this one when it came out i don't think i i don't remember seeing it when it came out but i remember seeing it maybe like a couple of years later okay i don't remember when it i don't remember seeing it when it came out this is a movie that for me is complete is a a an example of a movie that can be ruined by bad projection got you yeah so this movie came out in 3d mm -hmm. james cameron made a huge deal that the greatest use of 3D that's been done was done by Martin Scorsese and I was like and you're surprised James <laughs> but like you know he was uh, very impressed with the movie so of course I went and saw it in 3D because mm -hmm. that was the way it was intended to be seen in yeah. air quotes and the I'm, I know we've both experienced this before the bulbs were dimming in the projector so with the visor down mm -hmm. the image was extremely dark yeah. about like how when we saw the hobbit okay remember mm -hmm. when we saw the hobbit yes. and it was just like it was dark and yeah, it looked you know, weird and yeah. it just like yeah it didn't really feel correct yeah that was the first time i saw hugo oh, was like wow. that so i actually walked out of it really not liking the movie oh wow okay. i actually kind of walked out of it and was like i get what he was doing but yeah no <laughs> well yeah because my eyes hurt yeah like, it's a two-hour movie so and, i couldn't keep focused <laughs> It's a two-hour movie and 30 minutes in. I'm, I'm over it because my eyes are hurting yeah. from this bad projection. <laughs> Rewatching, of course, this is a beautiful movie. And when we just watched it recently for this, I almost started tearing up at the end. Yeah. I mean, this is just it's like... It's beautiful. I, I love yeah. them. I love this movie, actually. It was like... I think I had only saw it maybe one other time. Yeah. 
before we saw it this time. Yeah. So, like, to me, it was still kind of really fresh and new. Yeah. That's what I enjoyed about watching it this time. I was like, it's so fresh and new for me. So it's almost like I was watching it over again. With, like, I was watching it anew with, you know, new, yeah, yeah, with new eyes. Because I was like, oh, man, I saw it before. Yeah. But I didn't remember it like that because it was a long time ago. Yeah. So now I'm like, whoa, I'm kind of seeing it all over again. It's beautiful. It really I loved was. it. I absolutely adored it. I, I did too. And like, you know, I mean, of course the movie is Scorsese's like bid for film preservation yeah. in many ways. Like yeah. he talks about how important it is. I mean, we were even talking about when we were watching a movie about how they, they bring up that they melted down a lot yeah. of the celluloid and they turned it into, into soles of the shoes, like high heels. Yeah. Like, and I was like, what? Yeah. I didn't even think that was even possible. Like it transformed into yeah. a whole nother entity that yeah. you can then is useful. And I was like, what? Yeah. Cause they just melted it down. They turn it into just like a plaster base and then yeah. they mix it with some other chemicals to make heels. And it yeah. was heels as part of the, I was like, yeah. what? <laughs> so that was like an interesting fact. And then it, it's kind of one of those things where when you really think about that, there is a tragedy to the fact that it's like, you know, mm -hmm. you're walking on history with no reference for it because you're I, just going to throw those heels yes, away. And you don't even realize <laughs> it. You don't even know that it was once something that yeah. you could actually like project yeah. and watch. And it was beautiful art. And now you're walking on the bottom of yeah. it. Yeah. Just, just to eventually <laughs> you're walking. throw okay. them away or have them yeah. break or whatever That's else. Wild. Yeah. Okay. And it's it's one of those things that does it makes you think about things yeah. on many different levels. Yeah. But then it also kind of talks about the whole entire idea of something that I think is kind of happening now with a lot of people about his age, which yeah. is like it talks a lot about an artist getting discarded. Yeah, which is very unfortunate because we see that happening a lot today, mm -hmm. where there are great artists that people are just now kind of like Ugh, because oh. they have an opinion on Marvel or whatever else you know yeah. and people just kind of roll their eyes and like oh, this angry man screaming at clouds and you're like it's kind of got a point it's just yeah. you know but i don't know i think i heard somebody i can't remember who said this somebody said do you really expect martin scorsese the guy who made i think edgar wright says like do you really expect martin scorsese the guy who made mean streets to love captain marvel <laughs> <laughs> possible you know i don't put that past anybody because like just like you said yeah. like it's surprising what people can like but then this guy makes zombie movies but yeah. he, lo he, he loved yeah. the ballet film that's what i'm like that's not far-fetched yeah. for me I I, I I can believe it if it, if it's true i can believe it yeah i think like when i think about scorsese sitting down to watch brie larson i guess <laughs> screen i'm just kind of like i get it yeah i get it yeah it's like Maybe if it was, like, in the context of, like, the Christopher Reeve Superman yeah. movie, then I'd be like, I could see him liking that. Yeah. When I think about, you know, like, any of those people, <laughs> Brie Larson, Robert Downey Jr., any of them against a green screen yeah. for three hours. Yeah, he's probably like, no. I, I mean, I have a hard time sitting through it. I yeah. couldn't imagine being 75, 76 yeah. and I mean, trying I, to sit through it. <laughs> no, you're right. I'm just saying it's possible, though. Yeah, That's it is. That's all I'm saying. It it's is. possible. <laughs> and, I mean, you see some people that, you know, are about his age that really love them. Yeah. Yeah, but then you also see him and he's like, you know, it's not his idea of what cinema was. Yeah. But um, he definitely does talk about what his idea of cinema is with Hugo. Yeah, he does. And kind of goes really deep into that. But you know what? And I, what I love about this is it's, it's, it's told from such a pure perspective because the children are the main characters. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's told, like he has it from both ends. Like he has the kind of cynical 
kind of man that once was and yeah. he's kind of like in this bad mood because his life took a totally different turn yeah. than what it originally was supposed to be. Yeah. And it kind of sucked the life out of him because he no longer had that kind of art. Like he still made toys and things like yeah. that, but it wasn't the same as making film. But you could yeah. tell he did toys because it was some resemblance yeah. of still like that childlike yeah. love that he had for film. Yeah. And it was so beautiful to see the children as like you see it through their eyes and that's what I enjoyed about yeah. it. It was so giddy to me. Yeah. I loved it because I saw it through their eyes and I was like a child again. I also think it's very interesting to what you exactly what you just said about how, you know, it's a story about George Milia in a situation where life just didn't turn out the way that he yeah. thought it was going to. That's the situation with every male character in that story. Yeah, you're right. Because for you're Asa right. Butterfield, life just no. his his dad is gone yep he's an orphan he's an orphan who's living in a clock tower yes. his uncle was oh, we also forgot to mention ray winston oh ray winston <laughs> that's so sad sorry man. ray was yes the great <laughs> ray winston who, who, who has one of the best as a quick side note the one of the best scorsese moments ever uh-huh. in the departed uh-huh where you know uh he's with um DiCaprio in the bar uh-huh. and DiCaprio's ordered the cranberry juice and the guy starts saying asking him if he's on his period. Oh yeah. And him and DiCaprio get into a fight and then Ray once says the best moment where he just goes, What are you having? Yeah. And DiCaprio's like cranberry juice and he goes, What is it, your period? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, but yes. But it you know, it's like Ray Winston is his alcoholic uncle, which yes. he never thought he was going to end up with him. Yep. And then all of a sudden... And then he left him. He leaves, and then you find out later, of course, that he dies. Yep. And then... Sasha Baron Cohen's Sasha character. Sasha Baron Cohen's character, who... Mm-hmm. It's really just a guy looking for love and just feels because like he's never going to find it because there's war wounds. And guess what? He feels like a broken toy. Think about it. He That's does. why I was like, so many things connect in that movie. Yeah. He feels like a broken toy. He does. Because he goes off to war... And now his leg is messed yeah. up. He has to wear that like mechanism that's on his leg. And sometimes it needs to be oiled. It's yeah. almost like the Wizard of Oz. You remember how yeah. <laughs> the Tin Man yeah, needs to be yeah. oiled? It reminded me so much of yeah. that. And he was he just went trying to find love because he just felt like he was deficient or disfigured in some way. Yeah. And he probably thought no one would love him the same. And because of that, that made him bitter. Yeah. It made him very cynical and bitter. It did. And you remember what he said too? A part of that was also to me the bigger aspect of that wasn't even his him going off to war and having that leg like forever like disfigured. You know what it really was? Because he mentions it in the beginning. Remember when he's on the phone and yeah. he catches um Hugo finally the first time and he's yeah. like and he says, well, I went, I was an orphan and that worked out for me yeah. well. So he already had this built in cynicism yeah. from the time he was a child. Yeah. So it was so sad. It was yeah. so sad how his view shaped how he saw other kids. Yeah. And it, it was very interesting that throughout the entire story, all of the women are so pure. Yeah, they are. That, and their whole entire thing is to like bring that purity back into the eyes of these very disillusioned yeah. male characters. Because Helen McCrory, of course, is kind of just yeah. very, you know, kind of like, I'm just not going to say anything about it, yeah. but she's still saving mm-hmm. all of his drawings. He's yep. doing these sketches, mm-hmm. and she's saving all of them from the trash. Yes. Because he's discarding them, but she already saw yep. so much of his life get discarded. Well, she that hit she's into like, that um, wardrobe or armoire, yeah, whatever it's called. And, into the armoire, like yeah. in, in that box on the top, in a yeah. hidden compartment. In a hidden compartment. And like... 
you have her doing that. You have Chloe Grace Moretz, who's kind of getting Asa Butterfield to kind of take her on an adventure, you yeah. know, and this like. Because she's like, she's never been on one. Yeah. So that's what's pretty awesome. So that line is pretty awesome. And it's like, for him, it's not really an adventure so much as just, this is what I do. Yeah. Like, I like this is just my life. And it's a fuse a little bit with Peter Pan. I saw that too. That's why I said it. I love seeing it through the child's eyes because it reminded me a little bit. It had a little bit of Peter Pan in yeah. it. Because she was just like, take me on a, an adventure. Yeah. And I remember, you remember, that was one of the like most infamous, yeah. infamous lines to yeah. Peter Pan. And he said, oh, what an awful great adventure. Yeah. And Wendy said that, oh, it, I don't even think it was Peter. I, it might have even been Wendy. Yeah. But I just know that like when I, yeah. that was just one of my yeah. favorite <laughs> holiday movies is Peter Pan. I cannot yeah. help it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. I go to it time and time again yep. because it just reminds me of that pure, yeah. like just inhibit, like uninhibited fun. And yeah. like, you don't have, you're not like worried about adult things. Yeah. You're just like smiling and enjoying yourself. Yeah. And that's what I love about like Hugo and watching it because yeah. even though they had like those dark adult moments where you kind of yeah. like understood what they were coming from as yeah. an adult i understood more from a child like perspective because i'm like i still i think and on the inside i'm so i'm such a child yeah, yeah. i'm such a child well, it's like, that was the thing that i really liked about it, was that it doesn't it doesn't look away from the adult moments but the adult moments all equate to one thing which is that all of these adults are just just people that still want to be children. And it's still more of the story too because <laughs> yeah. it's just like more of the story is you don't want to become like them no and it's like the whole entire reason that they are the way they are is because they decided that there was a point in which they were going to quote unquote put away childish things. Yep. And, yep. but those quote unquote childish things are what kept them yeah. so vibrant yeah. for so long. Yes, they did. And then suddenly it's like all that vibrancy just kind of yeah, left the world. It just left them. Because yeah. it, it, for a time it did leave the world, right? I mean, war, mm-hmm. doesn't that beauty leave the world yeah. for a little bit when there's war? Yeah. So they saw a different side that they were just like, I think condemn any light. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you don't stay up on being, like child like it can dim any light yeah but the whole point is not that you stay there that's one thing i loved about the triumphant part of the story is that they in the the end they didn't stay there yeah and it's like uh of course you know you know i mean actually really quick that's another person we forgot to mention was um christopher lee is in the movie oh yeah he is because he's the bookstore guy yeah bookstore guy who gives him the copy of uh, i think it was robin hood yeah it was robin hood yes it was but um you know, I, one of the things I love, though, is that one of our other friends of movies and TV shows up, Michael Stuhlberg, yes. who shows up as the guy who actually brings George Milia his Because he's back. reserved his film. He's preserved all of yeah. that. And he's like the first like film archivist yes. to an extent. Mm-hmm. And he brings him he brings his him movies up. and says, you know, like, no, we've actually, we've been, we have one that's still left. And then, of course, at the end, he says, you know, we went to all of these places we went to you know all over the world to vaults and lockboxes and everything they're literally describing what you know the film foundation does now yeah like he literally gets up yes. on stage and describes and film preservation if you you know listen to him talk about the film foundation and how they do stuff that's literally what they do they send yeah. people all around the world yeah to look in vaults and lockboxes and mm-hmm. break open storage facilities mm-hmm. and start looking through and see like do we have we got a lead that there might be a reel yeah. of the Magnificent Ambersons over yeah. here. Let's go and take a look. Like, it's crazy. That's like really what that that yeah. job is. And he, of course, describes 
on stage at the very end the exact job of what Scorsese's put yeah. together with the film foundation. That's what's so awesome about it. So that story has just so many elements in it. It does. That is like so beautiful. It is. And it's it's also interesting too that it's one of the first instances he's done this throughout his career, mm-hmm. but it's become more pronounced now, I think, leading into Killers of the Flower Moon, which is making movies that almost do combine his work as a documentarian mm-hmm. with his work as a narrative filmmaker. Wow. Okay. And when I look at Hugo, I'm like, this is almost kind of like he said, I want to make a movie about film preservation. Yeah. Like a documentary. Mm-hmm. And then probably started focusing on George Milieu and then said, you know what would be more interesting is if we made this for kids so that you could teach your children yeah. what this meant. Yeah. It's the picture book version. Yeah. Of teaching my daughter about film preservation or mm-hmm. whatever it is. I, I thought that that was like really, really incredible that he decided to to do it that way. Because it you do realize in watching it that you can show this movie to an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old and actually explain the history of cinema to them yeah, in a way that they can see without making somebody watch a silent movie and them going like, oh, this is boring. Yeah. You can actually explain it by just saying like, I want you to watch this thing with me. And they're going to actually experience silent movies. And what was so exciting about that? Mm-hmm. They're going to just experience it by yeah. watching Ben Kingsley as George Milieu just yeah. dressed up and, and having a fun time in front of a camera. Yeah. It's going to be able to click. Like, this is what started his movies. Yeah. And then eventually we have Hugo. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> that was awesome, though. It was just... It's a one that I did not see any of like Martin Scorsese's like regular kind of stamps on it. Yeah. But also it's still one of the ones that are so beautiful that you can sit down and watch with your kids yeah. and watch for the holidays yeah. because we're at that time of year. So I definitely would like recommend that, man. It's I would too. Awesome. And it is interesting because like, you know, in saying that, that it, I mean, we've already talked about it, but like. When you think about Martin Scorsese, I think one of the most frustrating criticisms is how many people will say, oh, he, yeah, he just makes gangster movies. Yeah. Which is not true. Yeah. I mean, the guy has, you know, what, like, counting his documentary work, like 60 credits to his name as a director. Mm -hmm. And you have Mean Streets, you have Goodfellas, you have Casino, Uh you have The Departed. Yeah. Gangs of New York, I guess you can count. Yeah. Even then, that's it's not, not really... The same. It's not in the it's not same. same. It's just the title. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can count Raging Bull because in the corner, in the background, mm-hmm. there's like a mob story kind of yeah, happening. Slightly, but slightly. still not, not comparable to Casino no. and, and, and then it's Goodfellas. Like, and I mean, you really have like Mean Streets, The Departed... Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. Yeah. Those Probably, five yep, are the right. essential gangster movies. Yeah. Outside of that, Hugo, he did Age of Innocence. Yeah. Beautiful, but, yeah. you know, uh, uh, costume drama. He did um, Silence, yeah. of course, which mm-hmm. is an unbelievably beautiful movie. He did uh, uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. He did, like, yeah. he did Kundun, a movie about the Dalai Lama. Yeah. He did all of these other things yeah. that had nothing to do with the criminal underworld, no. but somehow, because everybody those are so knows. massive, yeah. those are the ones that everybody just says, oh, that's all he does. And yeah. you're like, that's so reductive. Yeah, it's, it's, he doesn't. You're right, it's very reductive. <laughs> you're so right about that. 
Another movie he did that was completely and totally outside yes, the box. Yes, that was just so surprising to me. <laughs> this was something I just was totally, completely caught off by, like caught off guard by. So, so in 1985, yes, Martin Scorsese was at an all-time low in his career, mm-hmm. and decided to go back and make an independent movie mm-hmm. just to see it something made. Yeah, and he found a script mm-hmm. by Joseph Minion that's based on a stage routine. Done mm-hmm. by Joe Frank. Mm-hmm. It was being produced by Amy Robertson and Griffin Dunn. And mm-hmm. Griffin Dunn was set to star. And a young Tim Burton was yeah. attached as the director at that time. That's wild. Martin Scorsese called and said, I'm interested in doing this picture after hours. Yeah. <laughs> and Tim Burton said, I respectfully declined the yeah. role for Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and went and made Beetlejuice instead. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. And then we have yeah. After Hours. Yeah. So After Hours stars... An enormous cast. Mm-hmm. Griffin Dunn, Roseanne Arquette, Vernon Bloom, Tommy Chong, uh, Linda Fiorentino, Terry Garr, John Hurd, uh, Cheech Marin, Catherine O'Hara, Dick Miller, Will Patton, Bronson Pinchot, uh, Larry Block, Victor Argo, and of course Martin Scorsese shows up in a club in a mm-hmm. really funny little cameo. Yeah. You had never seen this one before. Never. Yeah. So my first time it, seeing it was when you showed it to me. Okay. I was like, "What?" So what did you think Mark about this one? Stacy did this. <laughs> this was totally. Uh, this was even more like, even more less of like. This was even less of his than yeah. Hugo was. Yeah. I was like, "What is this?" Yeah. But it was such a like, like it says, it's kind of like a dark mm-hmm. comedy, and it's such a dark comedy, and I was just like. Oh my goodness, like I didn't even know <laughs> that Martin Scorsese can like give you sort of a vision from this perspective. Which, I mean, he's had some funny things on from like Wolf of Wall Street and all those things. They were very, to me, humorous yeah. and just like funny. Wolf of Wall Street is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. And, but like this one was just, it was on a whole nother level. It was. So I was just like, how does this happen somebody? And I felt for, I like, I yeah. felt so much for this character in this film. <laughs> yeah. He just had the worst night ever and the the worst luck. Yeah. And it was just like that whole night just brought him to like, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what to say. Because at the end when he was like all dusty from the plaster <laughs> and like he walked into the office and said his just kind of like, yeah. like he was now like. And the day was just starting all yeah. over again. But and, he was so, like, unresponsive. It was like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. And it was so funny that, like, in the beginning of the movie, it, it's sad to say that, like, as I've gotten older, I can relate more to the movie. Yeah. But it's just from the aspect of where he's starting from. Got you. Now, the rest of the movie, I hope that nobody can relate to. Yeah, because it that. is just the worst night ever yeah. in the history of nights. Yes. But in the beginning, of course, he is, like, a... It looks like a, some kind of a statistical programmer, some kind of an analyst. Yeah. And he's sitting down trying to teach this guy mm-hmm. essentially how to use a computer. Mm-hmm. Just to have the guy start talking to him, being like, you know what I really want to do, which is Bronson Pinochet. Mm-hmm. Really, it starts talking to him, it's like, you know what I really want to do is, uh, you know, just go ahead and like start my own magazine for him. And, and Griffin Dunn just kind of zones out and is looking at the whole rest of the office and it's just like, I hate it here. Yeah, I hate my life. Almost like office space. Yeah. It's funny. (laughs) It is kind of of like a precursor to office space. space. (laughs) And all this guy really wants to do 
is get off of work <laughs> and sit in a coffee shop reading Henry Miller. Yeah. And, and like, just go home. Mm-hmm. And he just happens to meet this girl, and he's like, maybe this will be kind of a cool change for the night. I can mm-hmm. just talk to this girl. <laughs> I wonder and if he values just... that time now. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> I think he went off and met that girl. That changed his life. Yep. He meets Rosanna Arquette, mm-hmm. and then goes over to see her, and it just all just spirals out yeah. from there. And just gets so absolutely insane. And twisted. It's so twisted. It's so twisted. Because she, Rosanna Arquette ends up dying. Dead, yeah, dead at one point. So it was like, what? Yep. She overdoses on pills. He thinks that she's a burn victim. Yeah. You never really quite find out what that was all about. Mm-hmm. I get the feeling that she was maybe actually working with burn victims. Yeah, maybe like on hospice or some yeah. kind of like outpatient care because why did she have to buy it? That's why I was like, don't the hospital like yeah. give funds and budgets for those things. So for me to see her buy it herself, I kept thinking yeah. like she has to do some type of outpatient care or something. Maybe yeah. she's some type of like nurse or RN or P, you know what I mean? Like nurse practitioner. So I was just like, I don't know. I was like, there was something there with that that, like, I, I never really fully. But her and her it, friend was morbid. They were all, they were morbid. Well, well, speaking about the burn or the burn thing, one of my favorite bits in there is when he starts giving her a massage, her friend a massage, and he's telling her this like really, really baffling, messed up story about being a kid mm-hmm. who gets his tonsils out, mm-hmm. gets per- put in the burn ward because they run out of space. And he's telling her this story and like really burying his soul and the girl just like falls yeah, asleep on top of him. Yeah. <laughs> and then she didn't have on her top or something. No, she like was that. topless. She was too. topless. Like, so yeah. he was just like, What's wrong with you, woman? Yeah. And she came out of her room. This is a perfect stranger. You let into your flat. Not only did you let like let him into your loft slash flat, yeah. but then you came outside like from your room, completely topless, yep. with this stranger in your like, and then you had him massaging like your bare shoulders, yep. and so then Rosanna Arquette comes in and it's just like, "What did you do to her?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Don't you know your friend is like crazy? Mm-hmm. Like, how can you blame him for the fact she has off her top? Like, it was so wild and yeah. absurd. Like, I was like, I what? Yep. That is, I would never want to have a night like that ever in my life. I yeah. wouldn't even wish that on my worst enemy. No. No, it is like the, After Hours is literally like that one of those movies that you see that is a perfect train wreck of a movie. It is. It's a train wreck. Where it's just, you see the wheels come off the tracks, but and then slowly, it just doesn't stop. But you know what's so yeah. bad? It's happening slowly, but you, as the person that's watching, you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Yep. But like, it's, it's happening so slowly to him, Yeah. but you can see it. One of the things I think is so brilliant about that movie is that is the pace of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so the movie itself is, I think, about 90 minutes, somewhere okay. around there. It's mm-hmm. not a long movie no, at all. No, it's not. It's paced, though, in such a way, and I it, I don't know how they achieved this, mm-hmm. to where you start getting tired with him <laughs> as the movie is going on. And I, I was like, that is just kind of brilliant, where it's like, it starts off like it's moving like a rocket. Yeah. And then it very quickly turns to this thing where it's it's a slog in not a bad way. Yeah. 
it's an intentional slog oh, yeah. where it's like by the time he gets to Terry Gar, mm-hmm. you're kind of like, dude, wh- why are we still here? Yes. Go home. That's man. what I kept saying like, during the whole film too. I was like, go home. What are you doing? And go home. He, and he kept, and you know what? To some degree, it was his fault a little bit yeah. because he kept getting sidetracked by everything. He, he kept saying he wanted to go home. He just wanted his keys. He wanted this. He wanted yeah. this. He just wants some money to get home because when he, in the beginning, you find out that when he was in the taxi cab, mm-hmm. he drops his last twenty dollar. It flies yeah. out the window because he tries to put it in like the money tray yep. at the back of the taxi where he's sitting, and because the window's down, it flies out, and he loses his only cash that's on him. Right? Yeah. So he ends up at Ro- uh, Roseanne Arquette's loft and flat with her yep. best friend that makes these like sculptures and sculptures that look like a bit like Edvard Munch's The Scream yeah you know, so it's like, it's, and he references that in the story too yeah like, and he, he's like she makes these sculptures because Rosanna told him about it at the diner or whatever yep. he was sitting at when they had coffee she leaves he meets up with calls her later meets up with her yep. next thing you know like before you know he loses his 20 so he doesn't have any money to actually get back home on the other side of town from where he lives yeah and so he goes on this like crazy money hunt he just needs somebody to give him yeah. enough bus or train fare so he can get home yeah and it turns into this whirlwind of crazy stuff that he ends up in at one moment he even he not only does he have not have any mo- uh, any money but yep. at one moment he even gives his keys to somebody that kept leaving the bar that he had to like just go inside and sit in for a minute because he had nowhere else to go. He yep. had no money. So he just went to an after hours place that was open and they end up trading keys. He actually traded to go to the guy's apartment <laughs> yep. and get something from the guy's apartment for his keys. He was like, oh, I'll trade you for bus money. I'll give you my keys so you can trust me, even though we don't know each other. Give me your keys. I'll go to your apartment, get what you asked me to get. When I come back, we can exchange keys again, and you can give me bus or money. The guy said, deal. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it turns into not, not only no longer does he no longer have his keys, but he no longer has the bus or money either. So he nope. never gets the bus or money, and he no longer has his keys. Yep. So he ends up in, like, double yep. trouble for and then, that one. And then you have, you know, he ends up meeting up with um, uh, Catherine O'Hara, mm-hmm. who at first thinks that he's, like, kind of sweet and kind of yeah. cute. She turns and out to be crazy, though. She turns out to be absolutely insane. But all the women he meets, yeah. they were all crazy. They were. And then, like, he, she ends up leading a revolt to come and find him. <laughs> because he, supposedly he was the man. You remember? They, supposedly they, they had a burglar. Of, yeah, they, they had a neighborhood. The apartment bur- yeah. The neighborhood apartment burglar. And he looked so suspicious. Yeah. Because, like, two guys from the neighbors mm-hmm. who got the bartender keys he had, he yeah. went to his apartment because they didn't recognize him, but they knew the guy that stayed in the apartment. They were yeah. like, how did you get in there? He was like, he gave me his keys. And before you know it, they were going on a witch hunt for him because they were like, no, 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 I know. You're the burglar that's going inside everyone's house and stealing everything. Yep. And so before you know it, his face is actually on flyers. Yeah. <laughs> and he ends they're, up being they, chased. They're drawn by a totally different person. They're drawn by Terry Garn. Yeah. Which just is because the, he ran out on yeah, her. Yeah, she was crazy. And he was like, look here, I'm leaving because I need to go get things. She said, you'll be back, won't you? And he was just like, yes, I'll come back. And so he comes back, but then something else happens, remember? And he's like, uh, I gotta go. No, 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 no. I'm going. I'm leaving. He was like, let's exchange numbers. You remember? He was like, let's exchange numbers. And so before you know it, he leaves her apartment and she's upset. 
because he's like turned her down. He's rejected her. So she draws his face onto a flyer. And before you know it, she's telling everybody he's the he's the neighborhood burglar. So he spends his whole night hiding and running from a whole mob of people that's trying to get him for being the neighborhood burglar, even though he was not the neighborhood burglar. Till he ends up in a punk club with Verna Bloom. Yep. And she, and she plasters is, him. And she's doing the exact same kinds of plaster sculptures. That the woman was that was topless in yeah. the beginning. <laughs> and she ends up, to help hide him out, plastering him inside of one of her sculptures. Yes. That she plans to and leave And she's like, inside. you have to stay here. <laughs> Every woman he came across was nuts, yep. man. I was like, I don't know what neighborhood you went to. But you went to one that actually attracted the same kind of white women. Yeah. <laughs> because every last one of them were, was nuts. <laughs> yeah. And what I love about this movie is that exactly what just happened here was the point of the movie. Yeah. Was that it It comes off like the story that you would have somebody tell you if you were sitting in a bar. Yeah. And you're like, I can't believe you had to make that up because it was yeah. so absurd. And it was like, like, it's the kind of thing that like you would be sitting in a bar and be talking and say like, oh, that was the worst night. And somebody were to overhear you and say, I'll tell you what the worst night was. Yeah, let me match it. And, and then all of a sudden you just have this person sitting next to you that just starts telling you this story that is getting more and more and more insane. Yeah. And then before you know it, you're suddenly sitting with your friend going, there's this guy in this bar told me a story. I don't even know if this is true. Yeah. And then what we just did just now starts happening. Yeah. Where you're just relaying the whole entire yeah. story. It's so self-conscious that even in the movie, there's a part where he gets picked up because this guy thinks that he's a hustler. Mm -hmm. He goes into the guy's house Mm -hmm. and the guy's just kind of like, okay, I've never done this before. I've never done this before. (laughs) Like, how do we do this? Well, and Griffin Dunn's like, yeah, great. Can I use your phone? Yeah. But the dude wanted to sleep with him. He thought he was like a gigolo or something. Yeah, he thought that he was a hustler. Yeah. And, And like... It was so funny watching the whole entire thing unfold where it's like Griffin Dunn knows exactly what this guy is thinking it was. And at this point, he just doesn't care. So yeah. he just actually seems yeah like a strung out junkie yeah. who's just losing it in front of this and dude. And he seems a little unbothered because, I, and I mean, Griffin Dunn's character yeah. is unbothered by this man. Yeah. Like giving it, him this it, proposition because he's just like I don't been through so much and yeah, like this is not yeah this yeah, is not even remotely this is, weird yeah this, this is not weird at this yeah. point. <laughs> so that was pretty awesome but definitely uh, a movie that is entirely like just kind of yeah outside you're on a of, roller coaster ride with this one. you really are <laughs> like it is a true true roller coaster ride all the way up to the very end yes and by the time you get to the end you're just kind of like. Why? Yeah. I'm so sorry, man. Why? Why did that happen? <laughs> Why? <laughs> so, in talking about these very different movies, yes. Martin Scorsese has also this year released his newest film, which is also a very different movie from anything yeah. else he's done, which was Killers of the Flower Moon. Yes. He directed it and co-wrote it with Eric Roth. Yeah. One of the rare times Scorsese takes a co-writing credit. Mm-hmm. Um... It's based on a really, really incredible book by David Graham mm-hmm. that I recommend anybody who loves true crime go and read. It's David Graham is an, an exceptional writer who he also wrote um, the book The Lost City of Z. Oh, okay. And he wrote a, a series of pieces uh, that became The Old Man, the Gun mm-hmm. with Robert Redford mm-hmm. that was done not too long ago. Um, he's just a very exceptional writer 
writer. Mm-hmm. And this movie stars an all-star cast. Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, Willie Gladstone, Jesse Plemons. Um, uh, John Lithgow shows up. Brendan Fraser shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also have, uh, in kind of a weird little part in there, Sturgill Simpson. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. <laughs> he showed up at one point. Yep. Pat Healy shows up at one point. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, Jack White shows up toward the end. Yes. Uh, Martin Scorsese has three separate cameos mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, with Jack White mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, there's another guy who's talking with him, which is actually Larry Fassenden. Yeah. Who's the guy who directed um, the movie that we watched uh, uh, just the other night, The Last Winter. Yeah. And so he that was actually a director who's up there co-hosting the show with him. Yes. It's kind of this like fascinating group of, of people that are in this movie. <laughs> um, playing all these very, very, very different parts than what you would normally see them playing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it, this is a movie that has a lot to talk about within it. Yeah, so, like, it does. How did yeah. you feel seeing it? I mean, to me, it was, it was, it was a, a, amazing and, like, wonderful uh story but it was also very disturbing and sad was because you know that like this was based on like real life like things that happened and events that happened to a group of people a group of native americans um that had to actually like go through this and it was really weird because i was like what is and i don't know there was something about it that was just I don't even have the words for it quite yet because you know what it reminds me of? It was like, you remember in the beginning when you first come to the town and you see all these Native Americans that Mm -hmm. had transitioned from their normal way of life into like civility, right? Yep. And it just looked odd because you saw so many, and I was like, it looked so odd because there were so many white men like marrying these women, these Native American women and still there. It was so odd. It was the most odd. Like when I came out, you know what it reminds me of? That's why I said, I'm kind of odd too because you know, sometimes movies or scenes or different things remind me of songs. Yeah, yeah. And all I can hear from that, I was living in a devil (laughs) town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Yeah. Like I hear that song, yeah, to the beginning of that film, yeah, because it was so disturbing to me to walk into this town of Native American people, and when you start looking at all the women that's transitioning into being like, you know, they're being like now they're part of society, yeah, and because now they live in, you know homes and they're putting on more like normal clothes but they're all wearing like these shawls that represent their tribes and but like they were like molding and starting to shift into the very people that was coming and trying to like really if you ask me gentrify that town yeah but gentrify it in a way that it's not like it's you know, it's not because they're the ones that became rich, right? It was the Native Americans because of their land and the oil that was found on their land. But, and I say gentrification, but it was even worse because it was like they were already rich themselves. They yeah. didn't need the white men to come in, but yeah. the white men came in to steal, kill, and destroy. You hear yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it was so 
like disturbing for yeah, me to yeah. see this play out. Like in in the beginning, you just see everybody walking into like the little town stores and all, and you see everybody, you see all these women married to these white men, and I was like, and the only thing I kept thinking is, but for the longest, didn't you not trust? The white man, and I don't mean that in a really weird racist way, but yeah. I just mean, shouldn't you be on more on guard? Why did you just go off and marry these men? Yeah. Shouldn't you be more on guard than this? Like they were like they let down their guard completely. Yeah. And they just married all the white men that came into that town and it was so disturbing. Yeah. It was so incredibly disturbing. I'm yeah. sorry, that's when you call a true like some type of cult move. Yeah. That was a cult move. You see how that's a cult move. I'm yeah. sorry, like yeah. those are cult teams. Those are cult teams. That's when I got to get into that. These are cult teams. Yeah. Because it was just so sad to see somebody like hone in on prey. And then you saw like the predators coming in on the prey of that town. And it was. Yeah. It it was baffling for me. It was was like one of the most like. Sorry that I I explained it so negatively, but that's just how I I saw it. That's that's the thing I think is very interesting about the movie is that. There is a very different movie that could have been made out of this, and I understand where some people kind of wanted that movie instead of the movie that we got. If you read the book, the movie that would have been made out of that book from the way that it's written Mm -hmm. is essentially when Jesse Plemons shows up at the last hour Mm -hmm. for almost the entire movie. Got you. And then the middle of it would go off with individual stories of everybody and show you a little bit of DiCaprio's character with Lily Gladstone, a little bit of his character with De Niro. Mm -hmm. It would show you bits and pieces of all of it, but essentially the entire movie would be all of them standing in that field, Mm -hmm. all of the the Federal Bureau of Investigation guys standing in that field, talking to one another and explaining how this all kind of panned out. Mm -hmm. The subtitle of that book is the founding is how the FBI was founded. You know, it talks about the founding of the FBI. Mm -hmm. Of course, when Jesse Plone shows up, there's a very important thing that he says. He says, I'm with the Bureau of Investigation. It was not yet the Federal Bureau of Investigation. We're in the earliest kind of points of all of this. And it was very, very interesting to me that instead of taking that approach, that Scorsese instead decided to say, I want to focus the movie on Molly mm-hmm. and the the character of of like uh, um, uh, of Molly, who eventually you know was I think Molly Kyle in the beginning, that eventually yeah. becomes Molly Burkhart. Mm-hmm. But he really was kind of like I want to talk about Molly Burkhart, mm-hmm. like I want to talk about her and about mm-hmm. how she ends up with um, uh, with Ernest. Okay, and their relationship and the relationship of King Hale. Mm-hmm. kind of yes over oh them my gosh yes. it is one of like it, it because he decided to tell it from that point of view it is one of like the most incising movies like you, you just cannot help but just to get extremely angry yeah during that movie because it's like there's the part of the movie that i think really kind of speaks to like what we had mentioned earlier about you know he's kind of in this place scorsese is kind of in this place right now where he mixes documentary and what he's doing in documentaries mm-hmm. with movies like pretend it's a city, which we mm-hmm. watched, you know, some of that series together and like, you know, what he's doing and stuff like that. He decides to mix with his narrative features by mm-hmm. having this guy sit down during this meeting and actually talk about, you know, 
these people have come in, these white men have come in, they've, you know, and, you know, and our families have married into them. And mm-hmm. all this other stuff. that guy was just a real guy yeah. that De Niro overheard talking and told Scorsese, like, we got to get him to say this stuff yeah. on camera. That's just real. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, De Niro brilliantly kind of pipes in right there. And <laughs> I'll give $1,000 extra to any man who brings any information to me about these killings. And you're just like, you're orchestrating all yeah, of that. Yeah, and he's like, come directly to me. Yep. And I'm like, yeah, you snake. Yep. Yeah, you serpent. <laughs> because you want them to come to you so you can know all the information so then you can know how to move strategically to get rid of everybody. It was so really just disturbing and it sad, was. but amazing, amazing acting. Yeah. <laughs> there was, amazing acting. I, I have I have heard some things about how people saw De Niro's performance. I thought his performance was incredible. I thought it was incredible too. <laughs> and I, I do not think that he showed up and just did his cape fear character again no. he just has a southern accent no. but like uh which also cape fear another martin scorsese oh yeah absolutely wild yeah but um you know it's like so he i de niro is just unbelievable in this movie i also have heard some people kind of saying that they didn't really necessarily think that brendan fraser worked in it i think brendan fraser is incredible yeah in this i film. think it's fine i mean it, there was not there was nothing even that's so distinguished that he couldn't work in it. I mean, he was a lawyer. He was a lawyer yeah. for Robert De Niro's like side. So I, I don't understand well, what yeah. was so. I, I think a lot of people kind of question the the when he first shows up and he stands up and he says, "You know, I have not been able to speak to this man. This man is my client." And that whole bit. Yeah. No, to me, this didn't really bother me because I'm sitting there watching. I'm like, it's like a Sydney Green Street part. It's yeah. like he, he's just like channeling a, an actor of another era. Yeah, and just. Yeah. He he actually almost in some ways, the way he played that part, reminded me, and I think unintentionally so, of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, a little like, bit. I could actually. have actually seen Hoffman yeah, if he were still right. alive, actually doing that yes, part as well. I agree, and I think that the way Hoffman would have played it would not have been that far away no, from me exactly either. how Fraser played it. No, this guy is supposed to be just like this flamboyant. Yeah, just. Irritating, kind of you know, like yeah, and like very scream over everybody yes, and ne- type and, of lawyer, and also not even by the book. No, just not by the book, man. You could no. just tell it because you're going in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but no, definitely not by the book at no. all because you could tell because he kept trying to make silly little arguments. Well, I haven't had a time to cross examine, but you're not supposed to. It's a conflict of interest. You yep. didn't even care that you knew it was a conflict of interest. You yeah. just kept selling that story and that argument anyway. Yeah. So you could tell he was really shady, not by the book at all. Yeah. And, you know, his whole entire thing of coming to DiCaprio and just like, they beat you. <laughs> and he's like, well, no, they, they made me stand for a really long time. Like, they beat you. Yes. Like, yeah, okay, they beat me. Yes. <laughs> it was just so much, like, manipulation. <laughs> really and, like, was. I was like, how... Come on, this is disturbing. Like, that, man. I love that movie, but it was very disturbing. It was. But it told it so well. Yeah. It it told it so well. That's what I loved about it. It told it so well. It really did. And by the time you get to the end, and Scorsese is, you know, Scorsese comes out Mm -hmm. and actually reads Molly's obituary. Yeah. That is one of the most. Why well, I just got goosebumps just yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, I know. Just now. I got teary like, at the moment he was talking about I did it too. <laughs> and it was just like, 
wow. Yeah. I mean, like, that was just yeah something I was not expecting. No. Just, and it was such a personal yeah. and blatant statement to the yeah. audience. Like, it was just like, wow. Yeah. There aren't, like, there was, there was a certain degree, even though some would maybe argue differently, I think for the audience that embraced The Wolf of Wall Street, mm -hmm. There is a degree of subtlety to the end of that movie where the camera points at the audience. Mm -hmm. Now, to me, there is nothing subtle about that. No, not that was <laughs> that was about as obvious as the ending of The Departed, mm -hmm. where the rat runs across the banister. <laughs> and of course, I can't think about that without thinking about Ralph Wiggum popping up in The Simpsons, going, "The rat symbolizes obviousness." Yeah, and it's like to me. With the Wolf of Wall Street, there is nothing ambiguous about that ending of mm -hmm. the camera pushing into the audience watching in awe. Yeah. As this guy who's been convicted yep. is now trying to teach them how to sell, sell. Yes. a pen. Like, you have to be kidding me. Yeah. And everybody's paying this guy yep. to teach them to his, teach them how to get rich. Like his little scammy way. <laughs> infuriating. But anyway, like it was very, very clear in this one that Scorsese was like, I am leaving nothing up to ambiguity. Yep. I'm going to tell you just how it is. <laughs> point, I am literally going to step out myself yep. and read, read to, to you, you the obituary of this woman <laughs> yep. who, who lived it, lived, who lived this life, lived this life, wound up going through all of this stuff, and in the end, Nobody mentioned anything about no it. about the history of what actually happened. No, nope. man, it is so profound in that way. I <laughs> thought it was. It's like it was a little bit of an erase of history, and it, it was. was so sad because I was like, "Wow!" There was like no after she died, no one ever mentioned it again, and I yeah. was like, <gasps> "Like it just broke my heart." Yep. Because you know what I started thinking about, and this has nothing to do with this movie, but I can't help but to like connect it a little bit. Yeah. You remember the movie Osage County? August Osage County? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember? Because that was from the same county eventually, right? Wasn't it from Oklahoma? It was from the same kind of area. I, I think that was like set in Oklahoma, yeah. Yeah, it was from the same like area. Because I yeah. remember the flatland, how everything looked. I think it was yeah. from Osage County. It was like from the same yeah. area. But the crazy thing about it is that when you see that story a little bit, it's only based on the family, right? Yeah. But if you really notice, everybody was white. So yeah. I'm not saying this to be funny. I'm just saying over time, did you see how it became? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. If you go there today, look at what it's become. Mm -hmm. So it's really sad, man. Like I was like, oh my gosh, they were like wiped out, dude. Yeah. They were like wiped out. How can you not like, how can you forget that? Like you wiped a whole like yeah. group of people out. Yep. For, so for, that was that. For no other reason than you just wanted their to, money. Yeah, you wanted their inheritance. That's what I'm saying, man. You wanted their inheritance. That was theirs. It was their land. This was their country. That was their all on their land. And you snuck in to just steal yeah. their stuff. Yep. Oh my gosh. Oh my word. That's what I all I can say. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, um, August Osage County takes place in Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Yeah. And. Uh, it actually does not give, in terms of the movie yeah. itself, it actually does not give like a specific uh, place where, like, like the specific spot in um, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Yeah, it's like I know within the book it is like just Osage County, Oklahoma. I like, know because yeah. you know how sometimes a county can like cover several like yeah. different cities, yeah. like you know here, like here, Fulton County covers you know East Point was right. this, was this, was that, like Dunwoody he covers the cab plus this plus that. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? So one county can like cover a whole bunch of different cities. Yeah, that's why I was like, no, that's part of. Yeah, Osage yeah. County is definitely part of that. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's uh. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that is interesting, though. Yeah. Like, the, yeah, it's like when you do look at that, it's like, here's an entire Pulitzer Prize winning play. Yeah. I, mean, I know we saw the film yeah, version, yes. but I've read the play also. And like, here's a Pulitzer Prize winning play. Yeah, so based on this family, but they, they were like all white. They were all white. And then there's, there's no moment of, you know, all of these people saying, you know, you know, we stole this land for the likes of Molly yeah. No, there's none of that. There's and none. Not that that play needed that, but no, you know what I mean. Course. It's, yeah, like, I it's yes. like, there's, there's no consciousness no, of this. No. At all. No. These, these are just people that are like, this is home. Yep. That's it. Yep. And, and then, from generations ago, their family yep. <laughs> stole that land. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just going to say facts. I'm yeah, not, no, I'm not being is, judgmental. I mean, true, I'm yeah. just saying it's facts. Yeah. This is what, what I mean, it is true. That, that was the thing I think that made the movie really interesting is the fact that, you know, I, I had seen something where there was uh, somebody who was, I think, a representative of the Osage who had made a comment that I think has been, like, taken really far out of context. Mm -hmm. Where he had said that, you know, he didn't really feel like the movie was for the Osage people. Mm -hmm. And I kind of largely agree with him. Because, yeah. like, it really is for people like myself or yourself or yeah, even like me, people like you know like my parents or yeah, something to like me that. it was reminding america of what went on there yeah and it was it's also a movie that is for a lot of people really educating them on mm -hmm. the fact that like one of the most horrendous crimes that happened in the history of america mm -hmm. in terms of what happened in osage yeah they like, even it, mentioned it, the juneteenth remember he was like robert de niro's king had, <laughs> he was sitting about yeah he was sitting there <laughs> watching the footage of what how they eliminated the entire black town. It was yeah. a thriving black city yeah. that had like they were they were made of wealth and money. Yeah. They had stores. They they were part of civilization. And white people came in and torched that entire town and got rid of a whole bunch of people yeah. in like an overnight. Yeah, and that's literally what. Rob De Niro's character was doing to to the Osage it, people. That's why I was like to the Native Americans there. That's why I was like, it is so horrible. It, it is, is one so of the horrible. most fascinating things to see in a movie that you know. I mean, of course, at this time there wasn't news mm -hmm. in the house. I mean, there's the radio, mm -hmm. but you couldn't just flip on your phone mm -hmm. and watch CNN and mm -hmm. then go over to Fox and get enraged and yeah. then go back to CNN. And, yeah, like there is, there is none of that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> there is, there is none of that. Like yeah. it was, it was very, very clearly, you know, it's like you heard what you heard on the radio, you read what you read in the paper, and then you would go to a movie. And at that time in a, at a movie, you know, we've talked about this before. There were, there was newsreels. Yeah. And so that's where you would get, some sense of what was happening. Yeah. It's fascinating for me to see a theater full of people. Mm hmm And everybody's watching the newsreels of Tulsa. Yeah. And they're all just like, oh yes. my goodness. And then here's De Niro sitting there and King Hale, yes. his mind is ticking like, no, that's hmm. not a bad idea. Yep. Just taking away on how to destroy that entire land. And I get that it may not been in the same way, but nevertheless, it was still a destruction of. Yeah. Because... 
he was trying to like take it over yeah. and not destroy it. But to me, it's still destroying when the original people that was there, you're trying to like kill, murder yeah. and kill off. And I thought one of the other fascinating Because you remember is- they kept doing it in the beginning. They told showed you the timeline of how all the women were dying. Yeah. You remember they was like, this man married this woman, she wound up dead. This man married this woman, she wound up dead. Yep. This woman married this woman, wound up dead. And none of these murders were actually even investigated. Nope. I was like so blown yeah. away by yeah. this. And like to me, one of the most kind of like brutal of them was the the story about Henry. Yeah. The the pieces on Henry, who was played by William Bellew, uh, uh, I yeah. that's how you pronounce his name. Um the story about Henry, the melancholic, yeah, the melancholy, in, yeah, in, the, in there, and the way that they decided to to kill him off, and the fact yeah. that you you saw the whole process, you saw, you know, it was Hale like slavery, but you know what's so crazy too? It looked a lot like slavery. Just it was just like um, covered. Yeah, it was cloaked because the marriage was slavery, but it was cloaked because it was so sad. Because you remember even later. After they killed the melancholic, King Hell went to like the bank and was like, "Give me my money." He was like, "Give me what you owe me." He oh, owed no, that, me. That was uh, uh, Henry that went to the bank and went crazy about his money, and King Hale comes in and tries to get him out of the bank. No, but later, do you know, you don't remember that scene later? King Hell goes back uh-huh. after the melancholic. After Henry is dead, uh-huh. he goes back and he fights with the bank, but the bank wouldn't give him the money. He mm-hmm. said he was like, "Give me my money. You owe me my money because he owed me." And now that he's no yeah. longer alive, he was like, "He owes me ten thousand dollars." He was like, "Give me 10 And then they were like, "No, we have to sign our owners. We have to do something first. Yeah. And they had to. They started taking him through all these steps, and he was pissed off. You remember? Yeah. He left the bank without the money. Yeah. He never got the money. Yeah. But he was so pissed because he was supposed to." get money off that man you remember that's why they killed him mm-hmm. that's why I, I was like no one remembered this is why Henry even oh, yeah. died they he, killed him I mean, because he was trying to collect money off of him that was the thing that was so heartbreaking about it I was about to say is that like you know he they show you this process of how it worked with all of these people that ended up dying yeah that, and they show it to you with Henry that you know they show you that you know, he takes him to the, the doctors yeah and the doctors look at him they cut an insurance policy on him. Mm-hmm. They're even looking at King Hale and like, I don't know how we're going to justify this one. Yep. This one's just kind of... They was like, we don't know. This one's kind of tough. But they were all in cahoots. It's so sad. It it's was. depressing. <laughs> he was all in cahoots. He was all in cahoots. <laughs> it was depressing, man. It really was. And like, so, you see that whole entire process and even down to, you know, the doctor's he says, what about my, my melancholy? And the doctor says, oh, you know, nothing a little whiskey can't take care of. Yep. Of course, at that time, that was an acceptable yeah, form, form of medication. Of medication self-medication, which, but you really should. Yeah, that I mean, makes it course, worse. You know, of course, today we know that yeah. that's the worst advice you can give anybody for it's anything. It's to drink is off to, of the, yeah, on top of their depression, man. Come on. And like, but of course, at that time, I mean, there was an entire era where, you know, you were told that's how you deal with your bad feeling. Oh, you yeah. feel bad? Have a couple of drinks. Yep. It makes it go away. That's, that's yeah. what it's there for. Mm-hmm. And... Of course, that just led to its own series of problems yep. in this country. But like yeah. the the you know, I mean, like you know, King Hale even looks at him right after he says, you know, like, well, I I want to go and get some moonshine because and he's King Hale's telling me you don't need that. Yeah, like th- those doctors don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, how you how did you take him to a doctor just to then turn around and tell him like, don't do what they told you to do? Yeah, and I'm just like, I was just like, because all, you remember at first, all of this is such 
detailed manipulation on oh, his Oh, yeah. Part. Not only that, because it made him look like he yeah. cared. That's yeah. one. Two, you remember his undertone was the yeah. fact that the only reason why he, he like, gave him a different... Um, he gave him a different advice than the doctors. Do you remember? Because at first he did not want Harry, Henry dead. You remember yeah, he said it. Yeah. He was like, I don't I need him. him alive yeah. Long enough. Time. A period yeah. of time. I don't need him dead. Yeah. But then when they realized that they might can get the money, even after he's dead, they might can get the money on him before he died. You know, even after he's dead, they was like, we might can still collect this. That's when you remember they had him kill off Henry. Yep. So once they killed off Henry, you remember that's when, um, King Hell, Robert De Niro's character, went to the bank. Yeah. And that's when he got in an argument with the bank um, people, the bank tellers, because they were trying to, he was trying to get the money. He was like, you owe me, me $10,000. He was like, I want my money. Yeah. He was like, he was in my property. He owed me, la, 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 la. I want my money. And the baby was like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. You remember he kept trying to collect that money and he was like, it doesn't work like that. They were trying to tell him, they were like, it doesn't work like that. We can't give this right away. There's so many things that go into this first. Yep. We gotta see, like, you do a little investigation see who this might belong to see if he got um answer see if he who did go to for he was like yep. no that is my money he was like screaming about yeah. it and i remember that part so visceral Oof. that's how i remember it yeah. and he was just screaming about it but he walked away he didn't get that money yeah he walked away without it he did not end up getting that money yeah. so which means that it was that means he probably was better left alive then so yep. guess what you shouldn't have done it yep. <laughs> <laughs> i mean he was better exactly. left alive anyway exactly so that's why it was like so crazy. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like, that film was, poof. it was such an eye opener kind of. It it really is. Like I said, like it is kind of a movie that is made to remind people, yes, about mm -hmm. you know certain things, but also to for a lot of people to educate them about you know there, there's there's a time there, in history. There is a time in history in which this stuff happened. Yeah. It's just kind of like it's not talked about. Nope. You know, we were never taught about this in school. Yeah. This was, but and this we forget things major... just like Tulsa. We forget yeah, so many things that happen to different yeah. people and how they were oppressed by so many different things. And, and it makes you look at how you're taught about, especially in the American school system. I don't know if it's changed over the years. Yeah. I just know about from when I was in elementary school, middle school, and all that. You know, it's like that when you're taught about Native Americans mm -hmm. and the pilgrims coming over and mm -hmm. all the things that lead you into Thanksgiving. Yeah. When you're taught about all that stuff, you're essentially taught that there was there was one part that was kind of not so great, which was the Trail of Tears. Yeah. But the rest of it was kind of okay. Oh, goodness. That's sort of, you know, if, if, yeah, you, the really, way they taught it. if yeah. you really break down how you're taught it, yeah. you're kind of, it, it's, it's almost kind of like they're saying, like, so there's this one part yeah. called the Trail of Tears. We'll talk about that. Yeah. That's, that's essentially where, like, we did like some bad stuff yeah. to the Native Americans. Yeah. But like, you know, we made up for it by giving them land, yeah. by giving them all this stuff. That's not, that was, that's the tip of the iceberg yeah. when you start looking at, okay, here's land that was given to these Native Americans. Mm -hmm. Here is oil that they found on the land that made them the richest people in the world. And yeah. here's how we stole that too. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Woo! That's all I can say with that one. <laughs> and one of the other interesting things from a historical context I, I thought was interesting they kept in there was when Molly brings up wanting to potentially hire the KKK. Yeah. To help her find yeah. who's been committing these murders. Yep. Yeah. And King Hale's response to it being, you know, well, Molly, you, you don't want to hire them. These men are power hungry. Yeah. What? 
Yeah. Because, <laughs> but you know what? That was the funny thing about it. He only said it because that yeah. means somebody else, some other white man, yeah. would have encroached on his territory and then he would have had, a, he would have been up for a true battle. Yeah. That's why he didn't want to get them involved because he was like, nah, you would have been up. Nah, I'm, I'm up. Like, yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't have competition with the Native Americans, but I have competition with other white men. I mean, he, <laughs> so he did not want them to come in and encroach on his territory. Yep. And to him, that was his. And as we know from the scene in which he he is forced to uh, spank DiCaprio, I mean, yeah. he is a 22nd degree Mason. I know. So, <laughs> what? I mean, if you really look at that, thing, that was disturbing. Uh, and you were, you were part of the KKK anyway. Yeah. Tell, say what you like. Exactly. You were part of that anyway. Because yeah. you were killing off all the Native Americans and trying to steal their, and not yeah. trying, stealing their stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you're not that different. No, <laughs> you no, weren't that different at all. So. <laughs> I, I guess, like, it's almost impossible to talk about this movie without at least bringing him up. But Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, in this my movie. goodness. We he, spent a lot of time after watching is talking about him yeah because he blew me away this time like yeah. truly i mean leonardo dicaprio always do, do amazing performances yeah but this time he blew me out the water because he didn't look like himself he transformed i was like who yeah. is this like he transformed truly do, do you think that his performances are getting better now that he doesn't care about getting an oscar yeah i think so i do too because he's like he's physically yeah transforming his face and his looks and the way he like his mannerisms and the way like he's literally transforming right before my eyes and i'm like okay i know you're leo but you no longer look like leo yeah like you're now transforming into like a character actor like you look like somebody else i i had met with a friend a few days ago that uh and we were talking about this movie for like a really long time and one of the things that he brought up about it was that he was like, you know, I was watching DiCaprio and I knew it was DiCaprio. <laughs> he was like, but there are these scenes where he was so far off base of what I expect DiCaprio yep, to do yep. that I just found myself laughing uncontrollably. He was like, <laughs> and I don't, he was like, I don't think it was a very funny movie. No, it wasn't. He was like, but like when De Niro grabs his ears, he said the look on DiCaprio's face when he starts falling down, he was like, I just, it was almost like uncomfortable, uncontrollable laughter. He's like, I just couldn't stop laughing throughout the whole entire movie. He was like, it's a, it's this movie that's like painful and like angering to watch. He was like, but I couldn't stop laughing when I was watching him. He was like, cause it was so weird. But you know what really got me was the emotion of the whole thing. Because usually you see Leo in very powerful roles, even if he like gets taken down later, like that of wolf of wall street yeah but he starts off with this really tall powerful man and all i could see was this tall i don't know like i don't know what to say like slump kind of slow yeah kind of i don't know he just turns more different i saw no power in this man i'm just gonna tell you that now and usually he's usually like a little powerful or a little like suave and i mean like even when he tries to and this has this is what the critique is because even in the past when he's tried to play kind of little dirty roles, yeah, he still never looked that like down and dirty to me. Yeah, except for the very first time I think I ever seen him was in Gilbert Great when he was truly yeah. autistic. That little autistic, like he really played yeah. that role through and through. Yeah, but after that, like he just he looked pretty. Yeah. He was yeah. so good at the way he looked pretty and everything. And I'm like, to me, this was the first time in years that I didn't see him pretty. 
Yeah, it, it's really, really interesting because the uh, there is that element of DiCaprio where, not saying that he's just pl- doing the same performance, but it's hard to divorce him from Howard Hughes in that way. Yeah. Where it's like, he loves playing an eccentric yeah. kind of man of of great dominating yeah. you know, power. Like, yeah. I think the last movie he did where he really didn't have any aspect of that at all in mm-hmm. him probably was either Gangs of New York or The Departed, depending yeah. on how you look at those roles. Mm-hmm. And outside of that, I mean, it's like he always is, and, you know, to a degree, Shutter Island, but even yeah. then, you know, it's still kind of, he's coming in playing Orson Welles' detective. Yeah. You know, it's like he he definitely kind of has, like, this movie star kind of element to that. Yeah. This was definitely a movie, though. We even brought that up, that, you know, the Gilbert Grape thing. Yeah. You know, like me and you brought that up. And then when I was with my buddy, he brought that up. That it was like, it's hard to watch this and not think a little bit about that movie. But not the way that he's playing that same character. Yeah. Just in the way that I haven't really seen him do something where if you showed this movie to somebody who didn't know who DiCaprio was. Yeah. They would be like, where'd they find that guy? Yeah. Yep. Because he suddenly becomes part of the wallpaper along with the other actors who kind of are not as known. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that you and I had talked about that made it really interesting to me was to see like, you get in this movie to see like what a, um, you know, kind of like, like what a gracious actor he is with other actors. I found out that the Lily Gladstone bit in the beginning where they're driving mm-hmm. and she calls him a coyote. Yeah. And of course it's in her language. Yeah. And he says, well, I don't know what you just said, but it sounds like it's, it's something in Indian for a handsome, handsome devil. devil. And I was like, accurate. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I was thinking was how accurate you are. And he's got that big rotten tooth Jack Nicholson smile in the yep. purple suit. Yeah. And you're just like, who are you? Yeah, exactly. that's what I was saying. I was like, how accurate you were, my good sir, though. How accurate you were. Well, it's like, I, you know, you find out later that Lily Gladstone just kind of threw out the coyote bit yeah. as an improv in the moment. Mm. And he just yelled out, I don't know what you just said, but it yeah. sounds like, he, like, you watch him as this actor in that movie where it's like he's excited to give everybody else a lot of space. Yeah. And yeah. so he all of a sudden just becomes part of yeah. the furniture. He really he's, did. He was he's phenomenal. not really like I think that the kind of star performance weirdly in the movie mm-hmm. is kind of De Niro. Where yeah. it's like he's kind of the one that kind of comes in as like I am performing. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Yeah. You can perform. Man, <laughs> I oh my gosh. That's why I said they did it was the movie was so like sad and like disturbing. It but it was told so well because it was. I hated Robert De Niro's character. I, I hated King Hill. Yeah. King who? Yeah. That's what I said. <laughs> I King the, who? I hated King Hill. I love like, the beginning too where he says like, call me King. You can call me King. And King. it's like, and all this reminds me of like the dude. You can call me dude. dude yeah. His dude-ness. Dude-ness. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his dude Yeah, he's like his dude-ness. dude-ness. If you're, you know, or uh, elder dude if you're not like, into the whole brevity thing. thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. When I heard him just say, like, call me King. I was like, like, you know, well, what if I'm not into the whole brevity thing, man? I know. <laughs> Between that and... You and know, he was the, like, King. <laughs> like, he even questioned it. He's like, him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was like, between that and the whole thing where, you know, De Niro was like, you know, do you read? And he's like, 
well, yeah, I can read. He's like, yeah, but do you read? Do you? Do you yeah, I, I can read. I yeah. can read. <laughs> <laughs> that was just amazing. Yeah. He was like, no, I, I really have to say, like, Leo, like, he blew me away. He, he was did. phenomenal. He did. He was, like, that's, I'm telling you, he's really transformed for me in that movie. He did. I kind of think that, like, these last few performances we've gotten out of him, I wasn't too hot on Don't Look Up. Yeah. I didn't think that I didn't that was, like that movie as a whole period. So. Yeah, I wasn't too hot on that one. I, it was just, it, I, I know what Adam McKay was trying to do. Yeah. It just was not my thing. Yeah, it wasn't mine either. And, um... Mostly because I've already seen Network, but that's a whole other story. Oh, no. but, like, <laughs> yeah. but like, he was very good in that. And then, mm-hmm. like, I also looked at him in, you know, like, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of like, ever since he won the Oscar, he's been doing these roles where you're kind of like, who is it? Yeah. Who are you again? Yes. Because you see him in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with that oh, stutter. Oh, he was amazing in that, and too. When he's, you but know, he, t- to me, in that one, he was amazing, but he still resembled. There was, Leo, he still was. Yeah. I still saw uh, he, that's when he was starting to transform, but I still saw a form of Leo in this one and Killers of the Flower Moon. I saw none of Leo. To, I'm just gonna say, it, I saw none of it. To me, the thing that I saw in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that maybe just like that was him, yeah, was when he flips out in the trailer, <laughs> which was hilarious, yeah, but also like kind of like borderline scary, yeah, like when like it starts out as just funny Leo being crazy, yeah. And then when he starts looking at himself in the mirror going like, I'm going to blow your brains out if yeah. you don't get it. You're just like, okay, this is kind of starting yeah. to take a little bit of a turn. And then it, it was that. And then it was also the bit in the beginning where he just kind of flips out and he starts talking about like how he's like a has-been. He's a nobody. Yeah. And Brad Pitt gets him into the car. Yeah. You also have like those parts where he's got like that smoker's cough. Yeah. And you're just like, how did he do that? Looks like that was painful. Yeah, the way he showed up and was like, he was coughing to where you saw like veins coming out of his head, and you're just like, what? What what are you doing, man? (laughs) But it was awesome. That was great, though. It really was. That wasn't a fun. I would like recommend people see it because it was very. It was a phenomenal. I agree completely, and uh, I know that some people are a little reserved because of the runtime mm-hmm. we did see it at the the terra in yep. atlanta yep and i will say that very similar to the irishman this did not feel like a three-hour movie no it did not i actually like enjoyed it and didn't feel as long as i thought it would mm-hmm. it actually like it was really well it like, was I, the pace yeah everything it yeah. was it was very well thought out in the way they did it so i have no like complaints about it yeah I didn't either. I, I thought it was wonderful. I think it's one of the best movies we've seen this year. Yep. We've seen a couple of long ones this year. Yeah, but you they know, were all Oppenheimer. They and, were all good. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm I, not complaining about them because no, they were all good. I and I, I. That's what I was about to say. Is like I didn't feel anything negative about those run times. I, yeah. I, I'm excited for the moment we get to watch Killers of the Flower Moon again when it comes yeah. to Apple. I think that the way that Apple did the release for this is really exceptional. Yeah. I think that they they did a good job. I hope that they keep releasing. You know, we have another one of theirs coming up here yes. in a couple of weeks with Napoleon. Yeah, which I'm very excited for. <laughs> and like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I hope that that a lot of people get to see this one. Me, even I if do there too. Are people because there. even if you think like you're gonna be like, oh no, because this, this is, but I would say watch it for your knowledge. Yeah. If anything, just watch it for your knowledge. Yeah. Like I think it's just a great piece of knowledge. I do too. And part of history that 
we don't know much about yeah. and he just he really did it justice he did so i would just say do it for your knowledge yeah and it's it's just really great to watch it, it is it's very captivating so i would say yeah. captivating is a good word for yeah. this movie because yeah. it was it was very very captivating yes and a beautiful movie awesome well yep. happy birthday martin scorsese yes happy birthday this will be uh out on his birthday yep and uh yeah so i'm scott and i'm Brittany. and this is the film cafeteria thank you for tuning in Yeah.